Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. This is Afternoon Pancakes, episode 27. My name is Jared. I'm here with my friend Stephen Reed. How are you doing today, sir? I am doing well today. Uh, got lots to look forward to uh, mm-hmm. in terms of and lots to talk about after a okay. Ballard's end of the year press conference uh, okay. that happened last week. And uh, fortunately, we weren't able to cover it last week uh, because we, we didn't record after it. Uh, but we got a chance to talk about it this week and got a lot of interesting things um, that may... Uh, Go against the grain of what some uh, local local reporters uh, believe what happened. Uh, because, Absolutely. Yeah, I don't. You know, there's some things that were written that I go, that's that's not what was said. Yeah, and <laughs> that I saw didn't that. Happen. I saw that. I saw that quite a bit. Where I'm like, I watched that, and I didn't take notes probably like you did, but I had a yeah. I had a I had a Google Doc open and I was kind of writing down things, and then I didn't write quotes that he said i just like he made a point here he made a point here and then when i started surfing twitter afterward i'm like oh so there's me there's people like me that will read what someone wrote and just be like okay and then there's people that will like you who i'm assuming read you know you took an entire sentence you wrote it down and you didn't yeah. like jumble the I words around and make it, quoted into what, it yeah you quoted it right like yeah and then there's people that probably didn't take notes were probably tweeting while it was going on and were just like completely mischaracterizing what was said so i think it's probably fair to take your approach and say these are the words that were actually said and instead of inferring we're just going to tell you exactly what was said and let you figure it out on your own we'll kind of tell you what we think but we want to well, start with and my favorite, no, my favorite part of this is the 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 beat writers that will respond to all of us on on Twitter or take their shots at us and mm-hmm. say, oh well, I'm sure you knew that since you were there um, <laughs> in the room, and we're like, it was broadcast. On it was Nvidia broadcast live. We watched like... it live, and you could actually go watch it. I watched it again this morning because somebody on Twitter asked me a question about uh, Ballard uh, making reference to Malik Hooker. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and they had thought that Ballard was down on him. And I said, I don't think that's what it was, but I'll go back and check the tape to see. Right. And so I, I'm sitting there like, oh, look, I'm watching it again. Perfect. <laughs> I, wait, does it matter that I'm not in the room because I get no. to see him and it's just on him? And right. so, yeah. And, and the color contrast is probably a little bit better on yeah. my screen. Um, I don't know. But, but yeah, that, that always just blows my mind when, when they come back like, oh, well, you weren't there, so you don't know. Or like, uh, so? Yeah, so that's, what does that's that not matter? relevant. 
<laughs> yeah, like like I can listen to the whole thing. I can watch the whole thing and I can see everything. I can I can hear your questions and I can hear the annoying uh, reporter that kept asking over and over and over again about his plans in the draft. And that, whether uh, they're going to take a quarterback. And I'm like, Mike Wells? Come on. No, it wasn't Wells. I, I assume it was an Indy Star reporter. Um, I, I've got a pretty good idea of who it was, um, but I'm not <laughs> going to say. Uh, but I, I'm fairly certain they were uh, associated with the Indy Star. Um, and it just kept coming, too. Like It was like asking the same question six different ways, hoping that yeah. you get the answer that you want. And, and like, like with... with with some people, that might work. But with right. Chris Ballard's an intelligent guy. He's not going to sit there and be like, oh, oh, well, now that you raised that point, let me go ahead and answer that question for you and give away <laughs> our entire draft strategy uh, four days yeah. into the offseason. Right. Like, seriously, guys. Like, once he once he denies you, like, twice on that question, Let's probably move use on, your right? time to ask a relevant question. Right. Like, don't waste everybody's time asking the same question over and over again anyway right so yeah so we want to talk about chris ballard's um press conference um today so yeah but before we do that we want to make sure we need to start doing this we haven't done this the whole time we've done this podcast but we need to say hey if you listen to our podcast and you enjoy it make sure you rate us wherever you listen to podcasts so you can find us on five Five stars stars. if you will right so spotify google play itunes wherever you get your podcasts we upload our podcast to megaphone which puts it out on all those platforms and we post a link on stampede blue you can find us on twitter at pod pancake if you have any direct comments for uh steven or i you can find steven at nice read r-e-e d steve s-t-e-v-e and you can find me at likely alien um and then so to start today we're going to talk about this press conference and you took really good notes so i'm gonna kind of let you uh drive uh and then just let me know when it's good for me to kind of chime yeah. in because I'm, no, I'm i'm gonna chime let you, in, drive. you chime in you chime in whenever you want so i'm basically going to go down the the press conference in the way that that, that people ask questions Okay. And so, uh, one one to start off, uh, Chris Ballard, Colts fans need to love him as as a GM because he is so upfront about everything that it is it is kind of mind blowing how open he is about you know the things that go on within the building. Like it's he's like the polar opposite of Bill Belichick. Like right. you ask these questions to Bill Belichick, you get one an- one word answers. Chris Ballard is sit there and talk your ear off uh, right. about about anything really um but to lead off the press conference i really enjoyed the somewhat veiled shot at at some other organizations mm-hmm. um from northeastern ohio um <laughs> that chris ballard talked a lot about how uh, how instrumental the culture was there within the colts building and how fantastic it was to have an owner like jim ursay who gives them the time and gives them the opportunity and, and trust them to make the decision uh, that the, he talked about the working relationship he and Frank Reich had uh, or has uh, currently <laughs> they, they have that uh, and how Jim Irsay is like the perfect owner uh, for yeah. a GM because he is there for guidance if they need it. Um, but he keeps his hands out of the 
cookie jar <clears throat> Jerry. Um, right. And allows his football people to just go ahead and make the football decisions. Um, and so Jim Irsay is, is really similar to Robert Kraft in that that regard, because Robert Kraft is one of the more well-known owners that just kind of stay away from it. Um, and then there are other owners that are all up in their GM and coaches grill about everything. <laughs> Dan Snyder or um, maybe Jerry Jones. Jimmy Haslin, yeah. uh, Jerry Jones, all, all different number of people. Um, so lead that off. So the first question that got asked uh, was about Andrew Luck. Um, mm-hmm. And Ballard is pretty clear that, that Luck's retired. Um, now and we just need to that, accept that, right? I we think just that need to of... accept that. Yeah, and, and he didn't say that that he he doesn't he's not coming back. Nope. But that's pretty much like the nail in the coffin that he's probably not coming back. Yeah, it I think that, that was a lid, said, right? He put a lid on that pretty quickly. Yeah, Andrew Luck it is retired. Like it. We need to. And that was the only time. Well, and that was the only time I think Luck got they got a question about Luck. Yep. Um, after that, so it was good to kind of get that. Um, gorilla off his back. Oh yeah. Uh, right off the bat, he, later on in the press conference, he did talk about how he didn't really have an opportunity to to process Luck retiring until like two days prior to the press conference, uh, or like three days after the season, because you're in season, you just you just gotta you know buckle up and go. Like you oh, yeah. don't have time to sit there and wallow and think about what just happened. You've gotta have a plan and and go with it. So. He talked about that, and then he talked to. There was a question about Jacoby Brissett, and he said that the passing game itself needs to improve, and the jury's still out on, on Jacoby Brissett. And I think that's a valid thing um, for Chris Ballard to say, because at the beginning of the season, Jacoby Brissett was okay, um, and the first three games he was solid, and then during the Oakland game, uh, you know, as, as we've said on here ad nausea at this point. I started raising flags after yes, Oakland. I said, hey, look, here's some – I've got some concerns, you know, about this. And, and then he had the Houston game, and, and he blew it up that game. And I gave you credit there because you stood by Brissett after the first start of the season. Um, and then that entry happened, and second half of the season, it seemed like he was very much a different player, um, which is which was – really kind of tough and, and so somebody asked him whether you know jacoby's the guy um yeah and he said that he's not uh, ballard was clearly he, he's not the guy yet and that his season um he's probably somewhere in between that first half and the second half and that's where you you place Brissett. the problem with that i find is that jacoby Brissett averaged less than 200 yards passing and prior to the first half of the season, that, that first half of the season before that injury, um, he still was probably about 235. If that, he had four out of seven games where he was under 202 yards. Um, his three games over, he had two 300-yard games, or two games over 300 yards, and I think one was like 265. So I'm pulling that off the top of my head. So if that's wrong, I apologize. I'm pretty sure it's close um, on that. But one of the more telling things was that Chris Ballard said, Jacoby, right now, Jacoby Brissett is their quarterback in 2020. Mm-hmm. Or quarterback that season. That does not scream confidence to me. Um, 
because that qualifier of right now tells me that they are looking and that there was a follow-up question after that. There was a a question about uh, Benetieri in there and, and Chris Ballard talked about how he liked Vinatieri, um, but he also likes um, Chase McLaughlin, um, McLuhan. I don't, I don't actually know how to pronounce that last name. Just flummoxes me. Like I just can't pronounce it. Scott McLuhan, Chase McLaughlin. It, it all just, it all just goes together for me. But there's a follow-up question about the the quarterback position, and they asked. I, I thought it was a, a really pointed question, and I don't know whether it was Holder or Mike Chapel who asked it. Um, but they said, you know, you talked about competition um, and bringing in competition and does the quarterback position, do you, do you follow that philosophy with the quarterback position? And this is actually something you and I had talked about several times throughout the year is that Chris Ballard would be you know, kind of taking himself back from where he's, he's put his foot down and say, you know, everything's about competition mm-hmm. if all of a sudden – the quarterback position, he wasn't going to put competition in there. And so we've been talking about that all year, saying if he has an opportunity to add competition to the quarterback position or provide an upgrade to Jacoby Brissett, he's going to do it. He's not just going to sit on his laurels because he likes Jacoby Brissett as a person. And that kind of goes in with the next question where he talks about himself as a GM and that he needs to – he acknowledged that, that he had messed up throughout the process, throughout the year, and didn't give the coaches enough quality talent to win, and that he needs to improve the depth across the board. Um, now, I, this this question I think he got from Kiefer, um, Zach Kiefer uh, from The Athletic, and uh, Zach made a comment of, about there being glaring holes in the roster, and uh, Chris Ballard, I think, to a point, took exception with that, um, and, and I think that's valid. I don't think there are any glaring holes in this roster. I think there are a lot of positions that need to be improved. Um, but a glaring hole is, is something that you consider like maybe he considers a glaring hole wide receiver too. Um, but with Funches getting hurt with, you know, Paris Campbell getting hurt with Darius Fountain getting hurt, all these guys getting hurt. You can't say that that's a necessarily a, glaring hole in the roster because you have talent there to cover it um and so i think you know chris ballard rightfully took exception to that and he talked about how he the team itself seems to kind of rest on their laurels at five and two and look at themselves and say hey look you know we've got momentum we're going to make the playoffs and and they kind of got ahead of themselves and it led to the, the slippery slope of two and five on the back half or going playing terribly after that. Um, and he talked about he didn't want to be a momentum team. And this kind of goes into something that we've talked about before, um, albeit, I, I believe, briefly, um, that there is kind of a fallacy with teams or with, with fan bases. Mm-hmm. In the end of this season, they talk about, oh, you know, I want to win these these last two meaningless games because it's going to give us momentum going into next season. That's <laughs> simply not true. That's that, that's what I like to call the fallacy of momentum. Right. Because from one year to the next, there is no momentum okay. in, in a team because there is so much turnover. There's so much rush returning. Um, 
Chris Ballard mentioned that at the beginning of the press conference that he had a discussion with with the team and said was was open with them said look not only are you going to be back next year you know roster turnover you know turning the roster is part of the game and so this is going to be you know the last time that this group is together and that's what I think fans also need to understand in terms of going from one year to the next so like where I was super excited to see the Colts win big against Carolina. And then I was disappointed to see them get crushed by Jacksonville the next week. But that has no parlance to next year. Like Not it at doesn't, all. it doesn't, it just doesn't do, it doesn't go that way. Um, so then a uh, question was asked about Anthony Costanzo and, and he said, you know, Chris Ballard said, I hope he comes back. Um, there's no timeline. He said he's going to talk to him in a couple weeks. So you're looking at, you know, next week, week after. Try to figure it out, probably around senior bowl time. And so the, the next question that is talked about uh, was free agency. And that, you know, people like to kind of go after Ballard because he has $100 million. He sat on $100 million in cap space. And he just didn't just throw money at people because he had the opportunity to throw money at people. I think that's a good thing as a GM because championships aren't won in March. Um, and generally the team that wins in March, <laughs> New York Jets, uh, they don't win in the regular season. Right. I've got a lot of cough. I've got this really bad cough. Um, I don't know if you, you heard it right there, but it's now happened, I think, three or four times in this podcast. So I apologize to everybody about that. Um, but Chris Ballard did once again point out that they were actually active in free agency and that they signed Justin Houston. They signed Devin Funches. And then he gave kind of I, I think he gave a little bit too much information on Devin Funches uh, because he talked about the fluke injury that he had and that Funches's injury. It wasn't a clean break of the collarbone. They actually uh, Ballard said that it splintered in five places. And so huh. having a splintered collarbone is so different than having a clean break because right. Nick Foles had a clean break in his collarbone and everybody sat there and said, Oh, you know, the Colts are lying to us. You know, may, he didn't have a, he didn't break his collarbone. You know, all these people that are conspiracy theorists that these say that the Colts are constantly lying to them or that they are trying to mislead the fans and all of this. And I'm going, they've been up and honest about pretty much everything. I think almost to a fault. Like they are too honest, in my opinion. Now, just some popping and whirring going on in the background, brother. Oh, uh, do I? Yeah, you can hear something popping. Sounds like you're running a pen down a tab of paper. But here, oh. something I wanted to uh, chime in and talk about because it's gonna, it, we're gonna get comments about it, so we might as well just say, hey, we're gonna head that off. First of all, yards passing in a game is not a relevant statistic. Um. We both know we both know that if you have an effective run game, you have no need to pass. But here's what I think are relevant statistics regarding a quarterback. In games Jacoby Brissett completed 60 or more percent of his passes, he was six and four. In games where he did not, he was one and five. Um, and I think that it's also important to remind everyone that I don't think, just like in 2017, 
I don't think it's really fair to evaluate Jacoby on the whole. I would still consider him like a second-year starting quarterback in the NFL uh, in a new system uh, with a lot of injuries at the wide receiver position. Uh, and then if you go look, so to follow up with, he was 6-4 and four in games that he uh, completed 60 more percent of his passes. It's also all six of those wins are in the first half of the season. So, well, that's not totally true. Weeks 11 and 13. But four of his six wins in games he passed for 60 or more percent uh, completion percentage was in the first half of the year. And that's when T.Y. Hilton was playing and healthy. Uh, and then and he a, little, a lot more health at the wide receiver position. Yeah. So it must be said that, hey, um, I think that it's worth just stating right now. Because we don't know what's going to happen in Mobile, right? So we don't know what's going to happen at the Senior Bowl. We don't, we can't foresee what's going to happen at the draft. We don't know what's going to happen yet in free agency in summer training. What if Jacoby gets hurt in training camp? See, these are all the things that we don't know that are going to happen. But right now, I think it's fair to say Jacoby starts the season as the starting quarterback next year. Is it also well, worth? And I saying, think that yeah, that's that's definitely there. Like. Even if they draft a quarterback, right. I think Jacoby Brissett starts the season as the starter in 2020. And so, like, uh, for example, Greg Doyle and I, uh, uh, Greg Doyle, the indie star, and I got in a little Twitter, you know, snafu. It was short, but I called him out because he said, you know, Chris Ballard is all in on Jacoby Brissett in 2020. And I said, said, how did you get that? And I just asked him. You know, where where did you get that from? You know, Chris Ballard literally said, right now, Jacoby Brissett is starting quarterback in 2020. You know, he said, yeah, there were some other lines in there about Brissett. The jury's still were, out. Jury's still out. Um, you know, you can't, um, ah, where, where are the other parts of it? There's some other, other lines in there that he said that made me, um, made me question it and that he's not going to like force the quarterback position, but he's going to take a look at it. Um, he's going to, uh, that the, they like some guys at the quarterback position. He's, he's doing all this stuff where he's kind of dancing around and that here, uh, he said, you can't, can't force it. This Jacoby needs to be more consistent. You know, he was, this is his first year as a, as a true starter because he kind of throws out 2017, which I think is valid. You can't, yep. you know, Jacoby was set in 2017. He had no offense. Like, they were playing with Ryan Grigson's players at that point. Right. And none and of those so, guys are on the team, and most of them aren't even in the league. I was going to say most of them aren't in the league anymore. I think the only ones that are, are still around is, like, Ryan Kelly. And I, I, I fully believe that, Ryan Grigson had to like have his head held to the fire to take Ryan Kelly because I feel like he wanted to take some kind of running back <laughs> with that pick because that just seems like a Ryan Grigson move back then. But right. I, I asked Greg Doyle, I said, Hey, look, how do you get that? How do you get that? That he's all in in right. 2020 and Doyle danced around it. And I made specific sites to like quotes from Chris Ballard from the press conference Mm-hmm. And Doyle didn't respond and said, you know, this is what I don't understand is you don't want to have the discussion 
and you know, I'm genuinely interested where you got it. And he said, oh, well, it was just my, what I got from, from watching the press conference. And I said, okay, but tell me where, like, right. g- give me something that you can tell me, okay, all right, I see what you're talking about. Like, maybe that's, you know, I don't agree with the way you interpreted it, but I at least can see where you got it. Like, there was nothing of it there. And then I made a comment where I said, you know, I just don't see them being long-term, you know, all in on Jacoby Reset. So he responds, well, I never said they were long-term. And I was like, oh, so now you're going to respond, dude? <laughs> like, like you're going to respond to that? Because there was a slight typo, but you won't respond and actually give factual evidence to support your opinion? All right, real cool, man. Why don't you go right. do another puff piece on somebody from another country um and so no animosity there at all but here's here's what's probably fair to say going backwards jacoby's gonna start week one because it doesn't matter what you do otherwise at the position he'll be the one with the most experience and the most talented one with also experience within this regime i've been saying I want to see a backup other than Brian Hoyer, so another veteran that comes in that if Jacoby were to get injured again, that guy comes in and doesn't throw three or four interceptions in a game that we could have won. And then also, I think it's fair the Colts could move on from Chad Kelly because otherwise he's just eating up a roster spot, eating up a practice squad spot, and he didn't even get consideration in the entire season. So Jacoby has one year left on a two-year deal. He'll probably start in 2020, but will he finish? That's the question. Will he finish? Will he get another full season at the helm? Because I think the Colts have both the cap space and the draft capital to both sign a veteran quarterback that's better than Brian Hoyer. So at this point, the the jury's still out on Jacoby. And the jury's so far out on Jacoby, hey, there's a good chance they sign a veteran quarterback that you're like that guy's gonna give jacoby a run for his money and also draft a quarterback like uh an anthony gordon right in the in a second maybe third round or jalen hurts in the second or third round right you got two second round picks i could see the second pick in the second round going to like a jalen hurts or an anthony gordon uh to give those guys a shot to develop into nfl starting caliber corner quarterbacks and Think of that potential, right? So rather than look at Jacoby's 2017 and his 2019 and say, oh, the kid's a dumpster fire. This is a horrible decision-making on part of Chris Ballard, and I can't believe they paid that guy all that money. Hold on, Gina. There's probably reason to look at Jacoby, look at some of the plays he makes, and say, you know, if he was a little more confident and a little more assertive, and also, I don't know, his weapons were healthy, I bet you he probably looks better throwing the ball downfield. And I'd also like to think that he attempted more downfield passes as the season waned uh, and that he was throwing to guys like Marcus Johnson and Zach Pascal, not exactly number one and two wide receivers in the NFL. And it's probably worth saying that Jacoby could lose uh, like a quarterback competition in the offseason because the guy they bring in is just better. And they have so much money to do that that there's no sense in being down on 2020 right now because players improve. So there's a good chance Jacoby improves as a quarterback. There's also a good chance because of, again, the cap space that there is another player 
that enters into the the Colts uh, complex that puts on a show and ends up taking over for Jacoby. And then, like I said, there's also g- real good chance they also draft a quarterback, right? And then that guy, like Anthony Gordon, sitting behind, and I'm just going to throw out a name, Philip Rivers, right? There's a connection there between Frank Reich and Chris Ballard and Philip Rivers, and you bring him in, and he and Jacoby duel it out, and then they give, you know, they give Philip Rivers the nod after Jacoby struggles in the first three, four weeks, and Philip Rivers leads the Colts to the playoff win and wins his first Super Bowl, and then all along the way, Anthony Gordon is the third quarterback on the roster, getting tutelage from what I would argue is one of the better quarterbacks uh, in the last. 15 years in Philip Rivers and a Jacoby who's not only been a starting quarterback now for two plus years in the NFL, but also was a Patriot, right? One of the winningest organizations uh, in sports. So like I said, before we get, we dive too far in on the Jacoby Brissett's future. It's like, Hey, think of the organization's future and what they've already done. And I would be more willing to replace Hoyer and Kelly rather than saying like, oh no, the Colts are going to have the same quarterback room next year. I can promise you that's not going to happen. Is that well, fair? And, and Yeah, I think that's definitely fair. And throughout the press conference, he was peppered with, um, Chris Ballard was peppered with different questions about the quarterback. So some of the yep. things that he said, um, you know, he talked about Jacoby having the talent. We've all said that Jacoby has the talent. Like, mm-hmm. He can make all the throws. Yeah. It's just the timing and anticipation that he really kind of struggles with. And he has to have that, what, what Ballard called the check down versus touchdown mentality. Yep. And so Brissett needs to go through and like, instead of like, he needs to be more aggressive on his throws. And, and you and I both have talked about this several times. Um, th- when they talked about drafting the quarterbacks and everything is, one of the several times Chris Ballard got asked this question, he talked about it and said, look, every year they focus on quarterbacks and it's not just for their team, but in order to understand the weaknesses of quarterbacks. So their process itself is unlikely to be different this year than it has been in the past, because you want to get that edge up going into a season because you might play that quarterback down the road and you want to know what the issue is for him. Like, where does he struggle? Um, and so, you know, we, we talked about taking quarterbacks in the draft and everything. And Chris Ballard said this multiple times is you can't force it. You, right. you can't can't take a quarterback just to do it. And this is what we've said several times is you can't just take a quarterback because there's a you need to take a quarterback. You need to take a quarterback that you feel can bring competition to the room and be an upgrade to the position. And so they, they won't just take one to take one he needs to be one of those guys that is able to to make a play that that's going to be an upgrade and when he does draft a quarterback there are certain things that they look for um look for a guy that that's a character guy um and that that's obviously a big thing for the colts in this franchise that they look for character guys they look for guys that are team captains they look for guys that our leaders both on and off the field. And then the quarterback needs to be smart. It's got to be a leader. And Chris Ballard acknowledged that not all quarterbacks are going to be finished products. And if they were, they'd be going number one overall, like Joe Burrow. Oh, 
going to be right now. Like he, he, Joe Burrow can come in and play. Boom, done. Like you don't have to worry about it. He's coming in. He's he's starting for your team, and and that's it. You, that's all you have to worry about. Every other part, every other quarterback has flaws, and you. But what Chris Ballard said, and this is something that, again, we've talked about this over and over again when it comes to the quarterback position, is they're looking for traits, and the Colts are going to bring in a guy with traits that they like, and they're going to try to coach him up, and they're trying to get. Uh, the coaches are going to have more input in this and, and that they actually, the, the Colts so far at this point has acknowledged that they, that they like some guys in the draft, you know, and that, that was the one time he actually responded and tried to get off of that question um, from, from, I, I assume one of the Indy star reporters, um, you know, he talked about how there's not any pressure to make a change at quarterback. Um, that if they make a change, they make it, but they don't feel like they have to from ownership. And, and so Jim Irsay is allowing them to go through the process just like they always have, and he's able to do everything like they, they've done before. And so I feel like that if they do bring in a quarterback, you know, as we all know at this point, I'm a big fan of Jordan Love. Um, yeah. and who is it though? Like, how do you watch that guy yeah. and not? Right. He's, uh, there's a couple guys on Twitter. They're like, I just don't like him. Let me say because he's black and racist. No, no, no. Oh, well, I hope not. But they, they like to cite the stat that this year, his touchdown interception ratio is not great. So well, like, okay, there's yeah, a reason it's not, for that, but though. there's some extenuating <laughs> circumstances there that he you lost might want to consider and, his running when back he has consistency. Yeah. So there's a lot of extenuating circumstances there. Um, but yeah, when it comes to drafting a QB or even signing a QB, like for me personally, if we're going to take the hypothetical, who would you pick between old QBs that you're going to bring in that, yeah. that would be available? I'm taking Drew Brees. Um, oh, well, of course. Over somebody Drew Brees. like Philip Rivers. And I, it's, not a, it's not a guarantee that New Orleans resigns Brees at this point because Brees is free agent you know braid is a free agent rivers is a free agent eli, you know, manning. Uh, eli manning is a free agent andy dalton if we want to get cam? down all that rat- cam's gonna get cut though isn't he i like, have no idea is cam a free agent or is he gonna get cut if, if cam here's the thing that here here's my reservation with saying that the colts are gonna sign an unrestricted free agent quarterback those quarterbacks can demand a lot of money. Right. And regardless of, of who they are, they're going to demand a lot of money. And the Colts, if you sign an unrestricted free agent, that's going to count against your compensatory pick calculations mm-hmm. for next year. The Colts currently have Eric Ebron that's going to go out and sign a deal. If you sign a big quarterback, you effectively give up around four pick there because that's, I, I assume Ebron's going to sign in there round four compensatory pick money range you're effectively giving up that round four pick to sign a one-year guy and we all know how much ballard likes them picks and so i i i'm hesitant on saying that they're going to sign an unrestricted free agent quarterback i think they might sign somebody that gets cut you know or more likely i think they're going to trade with 
you know, somebody like Jacksonville and get Nick Foles for a round, second round pick. Mm-hmm. Like, as in, not the Colts send a second round pick to Jacksonville, that Jacksonville sends a second round pick and Nick Foles to the Colts mm-hmm. for a dump off for cash considerations or whatever, because they want to get out from underneath that contract. And uh, for anybody that thinks that that's a crazy idea, there's actually precedent for that with Houston trading Brock Osweiler's contract to Cleveland uh, back when Sashi Brown ran Cleveland and he got a second round pick for Brock Osweiler. He didn't have quite the burdensome contract that Nick Foles has. And so there, there is some precedent for it. So just, just in case anybody was, was wondering about that. Yeah, if they're skeptical to the point where they're like, that's never going to happen. That would no never way. happen to the NFL. No, uh, NFL actually, that's a baseball thing. <laughs> yeah. well, uh, actually, well, actually. <laughs> sitting here and mansplaining it to everybody. But yeah, um, the, the, the statement, I was going to say, the statement by uh, Chris Ballard talking about, you know, we, we brought up like the veiled shot at other GMs and other owners. Oh, I um, think I know where you're going right now with this thing. But it kind of feeds into the best <laughs> the best player available uh, draft strategy, right? So this feeds into the like the Malik Hooker pick, the Quentin Nelson pick, and even this upcoming draft where we 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 right. And I I'm using the royal we, the Colts organization, and us at Stampede Blue, I believe as a whole, can all agree that there's no guarantee. The Colts, one, trade for and sign a quarterback, change their quarterback room at all, draft a quarterback, and the statement by Chris Ballard that he's so thankful that he works for an owner that lets them do what they may and do their research and they have their process, it all feeds into that BPA thought process. So I would, here's expectations I want to set. Don't expect the Colts to draft a quarterback early. Don't expect the Colts to trade up to draft a quarterback early don't expect the Colts to draft a quarterback that you think they should draft when you think they should draft them and understand that other teams are way worse at drafting than a lot of there are a few teams in the NFL pretty good at drafting and everybody else is terrible so this also feeds into this hey everybody we're starting to do research on our 2020 NFL draft guide So the staff at Stampede Blue has started reviewing film, grading players. I know Zach Hicks has been doing uh, film work on wide receivers. Um, So we're going to start collaborating uh, on our draft guide. That's about the only thing on the website outside of T-shirts that we charge for. And that's just because I can promise you that each individual on this this website anyway that has like a position group that they're looking after, that's a full-time job or near it, probably – you know, 20, 30 more, 30 or more hours a week of research and watching film and grading players. Uh, and we'll present that to you a few weeks before the draft. But one of the things that we've kind of come up with that we also see the Colts organization doing is not reaching for players, right? Uh, a lot of people with this past year's draft had a problem with the Colts draft. And if you go back and you look and you look at the Rocky Asin pick, that doesn't look so bad now. You got yourself a number two cornerback out of that. Similarly, Bobby Okariki, that was not a bad pick at all. Ben Banigou, not a bad pick at all. Reaching for, uh, dra- or trading up for Kari Willis, that's not a bad pick at all. That was all the- yeah, that was a great trade up. Like that's one of those things that you see 
Chris Ballard make moves. And that's been the only time we've seen him move up for a player. Is Kari Willis. So, yeah, it's Kari Willis. And he traded he traded more value than than what was probably necessary to move up to get him. But he wanted to make sure he got him. Right. And so kind of going off your point, if there is a guy that Chris Ballard really wants, he's going to go get him. That said, he likes them picks. Right. And I don't see the. I could see the Colts taking a quarterback early. I don't see them trading up for a quarterback early. Me neither. I, I could see them sitting at 13, and if a Tua for some reason falls to them, if a Jordan Love falls to them, if, if I'm less a fan of Justin Herbert, um, you know, I could theoretically see them taking one of those guys there at 13, but I do not see them trading up for a quarterback because it is the price is too much. Like they're they're ended up trading probably a second round pick, unless if you're talking about moving up to uh, Pro Football Network put out a mock draft the other day that had the Colts trading up to the Jets, going from 13 to 11 to get in front of Oakland to take okay. Jordan Love. And, and that would effectively co- cost the Colts about like a, a round four pick or two round four picks or a round three pick extra, but only one extra pick out of that. And I could maybe see that happening. Sure. But anything above that, that you're caught taking a second round pick from, from Chris Ballard. And I just don't see him giving that up unless if he is a thousand percent sold on a guy. And if I am that team and Chris Ballard is calling me, then I'm saying, I want, I want more than that. I want Do you know what I want to offering. happen? What? So here's what I want to happen. Okay. This is a conspiracy theory. But not really. I'm just trying to predict the future. Okay? A little Miss Cleo action. Tua Tungalovea uh, does not participate in the combine. Uh, still recovering from a hip injury. And there, I don't know how much precedent there is for that, but I have a, would have an issue drafting a quarterback in the first round of an NFL draft that did not participate in a combine or pro day at all because they're recovering from injury. And if I'm wrong, still a little bit from putting weight on that. Yeah. He's not cleared for actual drills yet. And so I think you're right that he's probably not going to be participating in combine because he's And and the reason I say that is because I uh, am a sports commentator for an app called hot mic. And if you're interested in hearing me do play-by-play commentary for sporting events, including the College Football National Championship, the divisional round, uh, the playoffs, the conference championships, the playoffs, and the Super Bowl, uh, you can download that app on Android or iPhone. Use my code, Jared317, that's J-A-R-E-D-317, and then follow me under the Broadcasters tab. My last name is Malott, M-A-L-O-T-T. You'll get notifications when I go live, uh, and like I said, I'll I'll be commentating uh, football games, basketball games. I'm even going to get into soccer. But one of the things I wanted to point out is when I was commentating the LSU, or not, it was LSU. It was uh, Michigan, Alabama game, the bowl game, the Citrus Bowl, I believe, or the Fiesta Bowl. Might have been the Fiesta. Bowl. No, the Citrus Bowl was first. Um, it was some bowl game. 
Yes. Uh, Tua was on the sideline with a single crutch and wearing a t-shirt. And when you watched him walk, he was walking with a noticeable limp, having had, and if, if I'm wrong, remember when I'm wrong, correct me, he had a similar injury to Bo Jackson. And it ended Bo Jackson's career. So for Tua to be on the sideline with a crutch so, under crutch under his with, arm. At that point, because I've heard that brought up before, Bo Jackson's career ended because he had a actual disease um, that that they didn't know about. And I think it was some kind of degeneration. Um, and so it's a little different from Bo Jackson. A little loose. Yeah, yeah, it, it's... Yeah, so I've heard people say that before, but this is a, a bit different of a situation. Still a very serious injury, yes. and it's the, the uh, just another to the list of Tua's injuries. I don't know if Tua's finished a college season, and so given he hasn't done that, I'd have a hard time thinking that he's going to be able to finish a pro season because those guys hit a lot harder, and you're probably getting hit a lot less at Alabama against that competition than you are in the NFL. Uh, despite the Colts having one of the top three offensive lines, you're still going to get hit more in the NFL than you did in college. And harder. And the injuries are more like have longer effects. But let's try to make sure we're saying it right. So I'm going to look at statistics. Um, see all. Uh, splits we're looking for yeah i don't like you said brother i don't actually think he played a full season in college so that's feeding into what i'm saying so let's just talk about tua i could see where he gets skipped on entirely a lot of people said like oh he doesn't make it past five he's gonna get drafted by the miami dolphins Hear me now. He's still not able to put a weight on his on his on his right side of his body. I watched him walk on the sideline. I can see a world where he doesn't participate in the combine. He may do interviews, and that's great. But he gets passed, and it's the Colts pick, and everybody's thinking, "Oh, the Colts take Tua at 13." No, the Colts are going to trade back. How about that? The Colts are going to trade back because they know no you one know, behind them. I think that might be either. an option. Nobody it, it, behind it, it, them is going to take Tua either. Nobody behind them needs a quarterback. So you go, well, the Colts are at 13. They could absolutely take Tua here. And I say that's a bad decision. So what I would do is I would trade back. Not out of the first round, but I would trade someone their first round pick. You give me something down the road. I like them picks, right? And... Mm -hmm. I think when we go back and look at this podcast, you will remember I said this. No team, I don't think I have ever, and I've been a serious football fan since like 1998. I don't remember a quarterback having a season-ending injury in college and still being in recovery in January of the year he gets drafted and still gets picked in the first round. And if I'm wrong, show me. Show your work. Tell me where there's a quarterback that didn't even finish a college season that had season-ending uh, injury that was still limping around in January that still got drafted and doesn't participate in the combine other than the interviews and still gets drafted in the first round. 
and you show me that player, that 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 quarterback, I'll take anything. Show me a player, right? And that goes like last year, everybody wanted uh, the Colts to take Montez Sweat, right? And if so, I remember correctly, he got passed on because of injury history. He got passed. He dropped because of a, a potential. I think it was a heart condition. Um, mm-hmm. If I if I remember correctly for Montez Sweat, but I might be wrong. Um, so going back, it, it, there was. A, I want to make sure I clarify this. Um, Bo Jackson and Tua um, had the same injury. Um, however, it was a lack of blood flow to Jackson's injury, Bo Jackson's injury, that damaged his hip, and he could no longer play football. And huh. Tua's was treated before a vascular necrosis, or what is the death of bone tissue, uh, because of lack lack of blood supply. Um, so there there's huh. a difference. Um, so it was the lack of blood flow to Jackson's injury that damaged the hip. Tua was treated before that happened, and so they expect Tua to make a full full recovery. But to your point, the only player that I can remember that had a season-ending injury didn't participate in any of that stuff, and then still got drafted in the first round was Willis McGahee. Um, and that's about it. Like, he was still on crutches when he got drafted because he that that injury that I want to say it was the Fiesta Bowl against Ohio State where, like, you saw it and you, like, the, the knee itself just, like, crumpled back, like, just opposite extension than what was anybody could really withstand. Um, but yeah, like I, if the Colts aren't sold on a quarterback and they, they don't want to take any of the players or they've got similar to the last year, last year at 26, they had eight players that they had as, as blue, blue chip guys, guys that they wanted to take. They also had pick 34 that year. So they figured, all right, you know what? We're going to get one of those players that we have similarly graded. We're going to move back, pick up an extra round two pick this year, pick up an extra round two pick next year. Just go ahead and and get it taken care of. So if they're at 13 and say they've got that one of those elite guys is not there. And then they've got a group of 10 to 12 that are similarly situated. I could see them trading back, say, for example, with a Miami, who, if Tua is still there at 13, yeah, if Tua is still there at 13, that means Miami passed on them at five, and they went after probably an offensive tackle. So right. Tua is still there at 13, and you could see the team like a Miami trying to get up to get him. You could see you know, a, a team like, like New Orleans, goodness, trading trading the farm to go back up to try to get him because new orleans new orleans for for all their faults have been very very aggressive in terms of trying to get up and get their guys they went up for for davenport you could see a team you know jacksonville at 20 you know, could could go up to that new england at 23 but i don't think I, I uh, never mind. <laughs> this ballot <laughs> is not trading with New England. No. So New England could get a quarterback. Um, so there, there are some options there, but but you're right. After after the Colts pick at 13, we got Tampa. Denver has Locke that they like. Atlanta still has Matt Ryan. Dallas has Dak Prescott. And uh, then you go Miami, 
Raiders, Jacksonville. And then after that, everybody else has got quarterbacks except for maybe Tennessee. Um, so, yeah, that's a, be a, an interesting thing. You could see maybe a team like um, maybe a team like the Chargers want to trade up from 37, but that's a really far drop for the Colts. The Colts would have to get their first-round pick next year yeah. to be able to make that move. And that's why um, I said something like that. We want to set the expectation that one of the things that we want to make sure we do is when the draft actually happens, that someone along the way wasn't just a yes man to all those people that are saying like Jacoby Brissett is not a starting level quarterback in the NFL. He's a great backup, but that's about it. And if the Colts don't draft a quarterback in the first round, I'm getting rid of my season tickets. That's a mistake because I think that Jacoby is good enough to qualify him for being like a bridge quarterback for a future franchise quarterback. And that lends itself to the thought process that I've been spouting this entire podcast, right? There's a better chance of guys like Hoyer and Kelly getting replaced than Jacoby getting one. They trade for someone. They're not cutting cutting him. Jacoby Brissett. They're They're not getting rid of him. He's not getting benched. The jury is still out means to me, and this is me taking a direct quote from someone, the jury is still out on Jacoby Brissett and saying there's a high likelihood, and I would clarify that as above 85%, that Jacoby starts the 2020 season. Uh, and that also allows me to say things like, I wouldn't be surprised to see the Colts, A, sign a veteran quarterback that can give Jacoby some competition and maybe tutor him a little bit more to having the touchdown versus checkdown mentality. I think that's something that it takes another veteran quarterback to show you that, hey, if you see, you know, this cornerback, you know, your your slot receivers running this fade, and if the cornerback's hips are still facing you at, you know, 10 yards down the field, we're going to go ahead and let go of that ball because your wide receiver is going to run right by him. And, of course, that's a crazy hypothetical, but, hey, it happens all the time, right? But so, I, I was going to say, like, that happens more often than people think because a lot of times what you'll see is wide receivers run what's called an option route, mm-hmm. and it's all based on how – that defender is playing if that defender is playing you inside and the quarterback sees inside the quarterback's throwing that out before you've cut yep or they're, they're supposed to because the quarterback sees the guy's playing inside you see he's playing inside right. so based on that based on what that defender is doing you have a route combination that you're supposed to do and so i don't think that's far-fetched at all but at the same time yeah i, I don't think that brissette is i brissette is to me on this roster and when he says the jury's still out to me that means he's gonna get a chance yeah next year and whether i think that, that, i think that he, he's earned that whether he gets a rookie to compete with in training camp and if the rookie beats him out Brissett right. had his chance you had but a chance. to say that the the Colts are moving on from Brissett completely i don't think that that's true necessarily um i do think that they're looking for an upgrade yeah, but they are constantly looking for upgrades. It's but like everywhere, right? Every position, like if you can get an upgrade, they're going to take it. Like that's the thing is, this is how Chris Ballard does his business. And so, like, if there's an elite player, somebody that they think is elite at 13, don't be surprised to see the Colts go away from quarterback right. at 13. Agree. Don't be surprised to see them take an offensive tackle. Don't be surprised <laughs> to see them take a defensive tackle. 
mm-hmm. or a wide receiver like a, a Henry Ruggs or a Chenault or somebody that might be a little bit surprising there at 13 because they're going to take what they think is the best player that's going to help their team. And this is where that best player available mentality gets so tossed out the window because people will use the hypotheticals and like, oh, well, what if you've got, you know, Andrew Luck and your best player available is a quarterback, then what do you do? You don't take a quarterback. quarterback. <laughs> like you take the best player available at a position of need. So like if you're just, and the reason you do that is because then you have a team full of the best players that were available at that time. And you use free agency and you use uh, trades to supplement your roster where you can. And so that's, that's what I think people get confused when it comes to the draft picks mentality. So I want to kind of get back over to, Ballot's press conference a little bit. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. So I'm just going to hit on some things that I think was was interesting. And the one line that I thought you were going to say earlier um, that that you went in a different direction, I thought you were going to talk about um, Ballard's one-line statement about Eric Ebron. Oh. Um, And this might have been the most definitive statement and, like, just damning statement that Ballard has made in any press conference despite like the Josh McDaniels fiasco, um, you know, reporter, I want to say it was Bob Kravitz asked him, Hey, you know, is the door closed on Eric Ebron coming back? And Ballard's answer verbatim is we'll probably move on. (laughs) That was it. That was it. He was done with it. I'm like, Oh wow. That's, um, that's pretty telling. Now, that being said, Colts fans need to understand that we want Eric Ebron to get paid somewhere else yes. because Eric Ebron getting paid somewhere else helps the Colts quite a bit um, because if he gets a huge contract from a team that, say, for example, needs a, a, a receiving tight end like a New England, you know, like a New Orleans, you know, like a, a – yeah, who else need like the Chargers? You know, if they don't resign Hunter Henry, um, Ron Rivera is going to Washington, and Washington might need that because you know they use Reed, Greg Olson Reed like crazy. Yeah, yeah. Cause, well, Reed can't stay healthy, and and Rivera likes to use tight ends. Yeah, uh, and so you know you've got a bunch of different options there for it. Uh, so you want him because that brings back. If Eric Ebron signs a big contract somewhere else, good for him. But it's good for the Colts, too, because they get an opportunity to get a compensatory pick in 2021 for a guy that played a season and a half for the Colts. Um, Some other things that I thought. Yeah. Some other things that I wanted to hit on real quick from the press conference. I'm not going to go over everything. um, Right. They're, they're looking at the, the defense. Um, they were missing leadership, and so he mentioned Al Woods and, and Mitchell as, as guys that they really needed. He thinks Kenny Moore is a special player, but he also noted that a lot of the young guys really need to step up, and he specifically mentioned Taekwon Lewis and Quincy Wilson. That makes me think that Quincy Wilson is not going to get cut this offseason, um, but they're going to give him training camp. But if he can't win it out in training camp, He's going to have some issues. And the biggest thing that hurt Wilson from making the game day roster uh, or being active on the game day roster 
is his lack of special teams. And because he wasn't active, he took some, his confidence took some hits. And that was kind of a, a big, big thing. When, when Ballard talks about the leadership aspect of it, he actually specifically talked about Jabal Sheard's leadership and how he was regretful of letting guys like Al Woods and Mike Mitchell walk. So it makes me think that they're going to look to re-sign Jabal Sheard, even though they could let him walk in again once potentially reclaim a, a compensatory pick for him. He talked about um, the trade deadline. And they, they actually, the Colts were pretty active during the trade deadline, but every team that they were communicating with wanted the moon for their players because they thought, oh, well, we've got you over a barrel. You've got to give us what we want. And there, um, some other guys that, that he hyped up, uh, Pascal obviously, um, played really, really well throughout the season. Uh, really liked, um, George Odom and talked about Kenny Moore being a special player. Uh, let's see what else. Talked about, uh, that injuries killed the wide receiver position this year. Um, and talked about Marv Tell and that he was encouraged by his play and, and same thing with Rock Yassine, um, and how both those guys really kind of grew into their roles as the season progressed. Uh, he's really excited for Ture to come back from his injury and Ben Banigou. And he thinks that those two defensive ends can be a really, really potent pair for the team going forward. Um, and so I think that those are some huge things. Um, mentioned special teams seem to be better and character stuff and free agency. Um, another thing is the coordinators, they've got no interview requests for their coordinators yet, which is a good thing for the Colts yep. long-term or for at least this next year, because they'll get a little bit more continuity. Um, but it's a bad thing too, because it means they weren't that successful this year. Um, and so it, it's kind of a double-edged sword. Um, he is going to probably, with regards to Taekwon Lewis, one of the things that Ballard mentioned was that three technique defensive tackle is kind of a big, big deal in this defense. And that you have to have somebody that's really able to, to take care of that position and really kind of roll with it. And as of right now, he doesn't think that they've got that. Um, so they need to upgrade that or not that they don't have it, but they need to upgrade it and they need to show more consistency from Taekwon Lewis at that position, because if he's not, he's not able to do it, then that's a position where maybe at 13, you're looking at a guy or say you go with an offensive tackle or a wide receiver at 13, but in, at 34 or 44, you're looking at like a guy like uh, Raekwon Davis and Neville Gallimore uh, from Oklahoma would be a good shoot the gap prospect um, right there at the three technique. So, You've got some options there, but that's that's kind of what the the gist of Ballard's press conference was. Is it it didn't seem like he was sold on Brissett as the long term answer, but he wasn't like shipping him down the river either. Right, and which I so, think which I think is where we should be uh, as a fan base is understanding. Yeah, right? like there were some extenuating circumstances that happened to Jacoby Brissett throughout the year, mm-hmm. and they weren't all his fault. Now. He's going to get a full offseason where he's the number one and he knows it, which is a very different mentality than what he had last year. Because as Chris Ballard said in his press conference, he went into this season thinking Andrew Luck was going to be his quarterback. So he never thought about addressing the position beyond Jacoby Brissett. So 
and, and Jacoby Brissett went into this season thinking Andrew Luck is going to be the starting quarterback after Luck being able to play 16 games last year without being injured, leading the team to 10 and 6 record and, and making the playoffs, going to the divisional round. And so Brissett didn't think that he was going to be the quarterback. This year he knows it. Right. And if he can't, if he doesn't get it at, at the, if he can't win it in training camp from whoever is brought in, if there is somebody brought in, or he struggles again, like he did this year, mm-hmm. then then he's not the guy. Like he's right. he is what Ballard calls like he's that substitution guy that can come in and what Ballard calls a win with player, a guy that can if you have an injury, you've got a guy that you can come in and you can win with him. And so he's not like a win because player. Like you don't win because of Jacoby Brissett, you win with him. Uh, you know, Andrew Luck was a guy that's a win because. Like you won games because of Andrew Luck. Right. And, and so I think that that is a difference. And, and the win because thing is something that I just made up right here on the spot. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I take full credit for that if it explodes. Um, I'd like all royalties and all that just be sent to me. Um, again, our Twitter handles are uh, nice read Steve and then. Jared, likely alien. So either of us, really, um, preferably me, but you can send some to Jared too, I guess. <laughs> Wanted to say while while we're still talking about the press conference, is that the only position groups that I actually think we are good is like linebacker and mostly offensive line, uh, but that all hinges on what. Anthony Costanzo decides to do. Uh, yeah. And so, don't again, don't be surprised if Anthony Costanzo's best friend, Andrew Luck, retired last year and he says, you know, I'm getting up there in age. I had a really good season last year. The Colts are in a... My col- first pro ball. Yeah, Colts are in a culture of change right now. Uh, I think it's a good time for me to hang them up. Well, then guess what becomes way more important than replacing Jacoby Brissett right now? left tackle tackle. right and then even well and you're gonna have some good options at 13 too Mm -hmm. that like that's the thing is there are certain positions that in order to get a quality starter at that position you have to take them high and so quarterback quarterback is one of those positions where you generally get that that premier player at one or two but Mm -hmm. the offensive tackle that left tackle position the best ones are usually taken top 15, the defensive end position, the guys that contribute immediately are generally taken top half of the first round, that cornerback position, the guys that able to contribute immediately are taken usually in the top 10. Now those are the, but specifically the left tackle position and that edge rusher position are those two that generally you have to take them early. Um, in order to get that premier elite talent. There are certainly outliers that are taken in rounds two, three, four, you know, with pick 199, you know, obviously we all know that's Tom Brady was taken then, you know, Antonio Brown was taken in the sixth round. You can get guys later, but they're not plug and play starters. Like you would want your left tackle to be, if your current Pro Bowl, because I'm certain that Anthony Costanza is going to make the Pro Bowl, even though he is an alternate. 
Um, there are certain positions and certain players that, that you have to take early. And, and mm-hmm. left tackle is and that premier edge rusher are two of those. Yep. So don't be surprised to see the Colts uh, have to seriously evaluate what they're going to do if Anthony Costanzo retires. Then you're looking at left tackle. And then what I was going to point out was, hey, when it comes to what's really important in the NFL – I think having a bridge quarterback, and I'm using air quotes because that's kind of what Jacoby's, what's being said about Jacoby at this point is he's a good tweener quarterback. Um, is that what I would rather f- the Colts focus on is their pass rush, right? And so that's defensive tackle, edge rusher. Uh, one of the things I wanted to point out is the Colts said that last offseason that one of their priorities was upgrading their pass rush. And while they drafted guys and they signed Justin Houston, the data says you only increased your sack percentage by 0.3%. So I think it's still valid to say I don't think defensive tackle is solved. And I don't think the person opposite of Justin Houston, I don't think that question's been answered yet either. Um, well, and I the tough part with that is Ture getting injured right. at, at after week five. Like, Ture was a lightning bolt off the side, off the edge right. over there. Like, And then, like, Banigou showed well in flashes. So I'm not, for me personally, I'm not as concerned with the edge rusher situation mm-hmm. i am concerned with the other side of the edge rusher like justin houston's got one year left chabal Sheard's a free agent you need that that edge rusher that's kind of savvy that knows like well really just uh, jabal sheard wasn't like rushing the passer very well this year mm-hmm. and so you need somebody that's going to be that stand-up defensive end that's why several times whenever we talk about this i mention a aj Epinesa from Iowa because mm-hmm. he's a guy that is an edge rusher that can can set the edge on run plays mm-hmm. and can get after the passer and might be available at 13 and it wouldn't be surprising to see Ballard take him similar to like a Javon Kenlaw you know at defensive tackle mm, or give me Kenlaw or a, a Derek Brown like if Derek Brown is there at 13 like I'm taking him all day mm-hmm. like because he is that dominant of an interior pass rusher. And that's what makes players like Aaron Donald and even J.J. Watt to a point, because they'll slide him down inside. Those guys are, defensive coordinators are becoming very smart in their schemes and that they are putting guys, their best athletes, in positions to succeed because you know that the for most teams – the least talented offensive lineman is your right guard. Right. Or your left or your left guard. For the Colts, that's the same thing. Like their right guard is their weakest offensive line position. Right. And so you saw a lot of guys do that. Like left guard for the Colts, good lord. <laughs> like Quentin Nelson is I think the first player since like nineteen forty eight, I think was the stat, to be named to as a first team all pro in each of his first two seasons. Wow. Like, oh, like the only player to do that, really. That's, um, a, kill, that's a killer stat line, right? And yeah. Two of all pros. And, and, like, he's getting better. Like, like he's <laughs> not even reached his potential yet. Right. Like, he could literally, if, he, if he's able to continue this, he could go down as one of the all-time great offensive linemen. He's like Thanos without the gauntlet, right? 
Like seriously, like that's still <laughs> my pinned tweet on my on my Twitter account. Nice read, Steve. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can see it. It's it's me comparing Quentin Nelson to Thanos, and, <laughs> and it's pretty spot on. Like you're it like, is. yeah, all right, I get that. Yeah, he pretty much ends people's lives with just a snap of his fingers. <laughs> yeah, that sounds right. All right, so we talked about at length uh, the Chris Ballard's end of year press conference. Um, let's kind of jump to uh, we we had the wild card round this weekend, which I commentated all four wild card games on Hot Mike, and it was incredible. Uh, half of the games went into overtime. Um, the biggest uh, point of uh, biggest margin of victory was eight points, and that was the last game on Sunday night, which you got to admit was kind of uh, disappointing. That was- yeah, it was um, disappointing. It was kind of fluky too. Yeah, like the with game Carson went, with Carson Wentz getting injured, and then uh, it was Sheep just uh, yeah, it was a lot of down games. So let's kind of go in order and just we'll talk about it for a couple minutes, and we'll kind of keep it moving. But we want to have the overall statement about the weekend is how about the AFC South, right? right? Like right? Every, all you know what we hear every year all year. Every long. year we hear all year long the AFC South is the weakest division in football and wouldn't you know it went 2 and 0 in the wild card round of the playoffs this weekend. So first things first the Texans beat the Bills uh at home. Uh that game was an incredible football game for the sheer reason that the Texans were down 13 to nothing at halftime and looked like absolute doo-doo and then Deshaun Watson DeAndre Hopkins Kenny Stills the Carlos Hyde the running back they did the thing and the Texans defense played really well in the second half of that second half yeah to limit the bills to six points uh and again I kept saying it during the broadcast like I feel like this is an overused term but if this isn't a tale of two halves I don't know what is right uh, on like I said, on the one hand, Josh Allen looked real good on that first drive, and then after that, I think that playoff inexperience started to wear on him, uh, and it capitulated in the end of the game where he just made he made like a series of bonehead decisions at the end of that game that you're like, that's that's like showing someone you're too young to drink, right? Like he really he was getting tackled and tried to lateral football. That he had no. Oh, that was bad too. (laughs) Yeah, that Uh was really bad. My takeaway from this game was that I'm I'm 100% with you that it was the tale of two halves. Like the Houston defense really stepped up in the second half and and played well. What bothered me most about this game was the officiating, because uh, and this is not a shock to anybody that listens to the podcast. Is I I take issue with the, the officials. So. The controversial call at the beginning of the second half where Houston received the punt or received the kickoff, the dude made the safe signal. And now the safe signal is not a signal recognized by the NFL by officiating. The safe signal is a signal where the guy, the returner puts his arm straight out and to make a T to let all of his blockers know, hey, I'm not returning this. Don't put your head in somebody's way and take a shot you don't need to. 
Right. And so because every one of those return guys runs back initially to get in their position to block, and then they come forward to block. And so he made that safe sound signal. Then he re- he fielded the, the kick. Yes. And then he tossed the, the ball to the official without taking a knee or going to the ground. And or making I, any attempt to do so. So it wasn't even like he uh, faked it. Yeah, he, did, he, didn't, he, did, he didn't try to move the ball forward. Like that mm-hmm. and the they originally called it a touchdown on the field. Now that first off, that wasn't right. Like shouldn't have been ruled a touchdown. Technically, that's a forward pass. Should have been a two point. It should have been a safety. Yeah. On there, but the officials came in and, and some observers came in. Guys that weren't part of the crew came in, which I thought was weird, as it were. Um, came in, talked to this official. I think it was Tony Carinti, um, and said, "Hey." You know, you know what he meant to do. You know, he, he clearly gave himself up. You know, it should be a touchback. So they called it a touchback. And then ESPN put the actual official rule, Rule 7, Section 2, Article 1 of the NFL rulebook, the dead ball rule. And it states, an official shall declare the ball dead and the down ended when a runner declares himself down by falling to the ground or kneeling and clearly making no immediate effort to advance. So in order for the official to call it dead, the player, that, that player with the ball has to go to the ground or kneel. Right. You, you have to do that. And if you don't do that, it's not dead. And that's, it, that's just, that is what it is. If you don't do that, it's not a dead ball. And so they made the wrong call. And I get tired of people saying, oh, well, oh, come on. Don't, you got to take it easy on him, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, yeah, but, you know, if a guy fumbles the ball right before going across the goal line because he drops it as he's going in and he's celebrating, you don't give the guy a touchdown because you knew he meant to score. Right. Like, it, you got to follow the rule. And they're like, oh, well, I've seen that done before where they'll field it and they'll, they'll take it, toss it to the referee without taking an E. And I go, show me where. And to this point, Nobody's shown that. Like, th- to this point, there's not... Like, you'll see guys make that safe signal and then walk out of the end zone and let the ball hit in the end zone. And then they call a touchback. But you have... I have never seen it, or I don't remember seeing it, where a guy makes that safe signal, feels the punt, doesn't take a knee, and then throws it to the referee and gets called a touchback. So I'm very much a rule follower in this. And so... <laughs> It, it bothers me that they're like, oh, well, you know, we're going to be lenient this time. Like, it shouldn't have been a touchdown, but it should have been a two-point conversion. If yeah, you're sure. telling me yeah. the end of the game, you're looking at a, you know, set a 21, or like the, the Bills are, are at that point up, like, 18 to 19, or down 18 to 19 at the end of the game. That field goal that they kicked with five seconds left wins the game for them. Right. Like, that makes it 21-19, ball game over. Buffalo gets their first playoff win in good, since like the times they went to the Super Bowl back in the early 90s. And then they that what upset me, the other part that upset me in this game was, again, officiating. Because they called an illegal blindside block on Buffalo to set them back, but on the uh, Houston two point conversion, they 
Duke Johnson did the exact same thing against, <laughs> I, I want to say, Tremaine Edmonds while he yeah. was going to tackle Deshaun Watson going to the corner. Mm-hmm. And they said, all right, you, we're going to give it to you. And yet I look at that and I go, yeah, but that's an illegal blindside block. You can't, it goes to consistency. Like if you're not going to call it early, you don't call it late. Right. Right. And so that's, that was my biggest follow. Otherwise it was a great game. It was really entertaining. Um, yeah. And, and really enjoyed it. I I am happy that, I, that either team won. I, I wouldn't have been disappointed either way because I think the Texans have some great players and great people with JJ Watt and DeAndre Hopkins. Of course, mm-hmm. we have a little soft spot for the Bills with Frank Gore, mm-hmm. um, but I'm happy to see the AFC South move on. Absolutely, and then we'll go to the game game two or game of the week. Uh, the Titans travel into Foxborough on the eve of the arrival of uh, Tropical Storm Henry. Har har. And speaking of Henry, Derrick Henry rushes for 182 yards and a touchdown, and then Tennessee's defense was all the f over the New England offense um and wins 20 to 13 and that put both AFC South representatives into the divisional round and again it kind of further's the what we started with when we were talking about this remember how every year you hear it every year the AFC South is the weakest division in the NFL how about knocking off the Patriots at home and then Winning at home for the Texans, obviously. Uh, you watch. I, I hope you that. watch the Titans Patriots game, right? Yeah, I watched that one. My favorite part of this game was Mike Frabel with like six and a half minutes left in the fourth quarter. Bill Belichick and Bill Belichick. And oh right. Doing the 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 punt formation. Clock's running. He takes a false start, or takes delay a game. Runs off another twenty five seconds. Uh, it takes a false start, runs off another like 35 seconds. I don't know, 25 seconds. Right. And then, then New England has a false, has an offsides, and <laughs> takes off another 25 seconds. So like he's effectively able to run off about like a minute and a quarter mm-hmm. off of that, off that clock. Boy, how how instrumental was that at the end of the game? Right. Because instead of New England getting the ball back with a 20 to 13 or a, what is 13 all at that point mm-hmm. no 14 13 uh tennessee because they didn't score in the second half until that interception return for a touchdown so it's 14 13 tennessee and, and say no one gets the ball back at their one but instead of having six seconds left they now have almost uh, two minutes right almost or, or instead of 15 seconds left they've got a minute and a half of that. That's a lot. That's a lot of time for Tom Brady. Even with with the limited weapons that he has, those guys, as much as we dislike them, they're great players and they have a great coaching staff in terms of scheme. Very questionable moral character on that coaching staff. But in terms of scheming, they're great at it. Both legal and illegal scheming. They're great at it. <laughs> so I want to make sure that I, I've started to qualify this statement when we talk about the Patriots, I think people like Tom Brady um, are benefiting from the greatness that is Bill Belichick and that everyone around those two people are lesser versions of those people and they feel the need to compensate 
And that's what makes that organization what I would call full of cheaters, right? Is there is actual greatness there in Bill Belichick. And he is, again, supplementing the career of someone who I don't think is nearly as vaunted a player uh, if he's not a Bill Belichick uh, draft yeah, like, pick and not they ride or die together their their entire If you look uh, at his stats, like through his his Super Bowl wins, they're not great. They're they actually I think one one stat is worse than Jacoby Brissett stats this year for his games <laughs> in the Super Bowl. For like his first three Super Bowls, he averaged like under a two hundred yards passing, like yeah. more touchdowns than like his defenses scored more touchdowns than he did. <laughs> in, in those Super Bowl runs, I think. And I might be might be right. You probably that. you probably are. Which but is it's... the sad part. But like they've been like it's been sketchy for Belichick since he came to New England. Yeah. Like that's the crazy thing is is people don't understand. Like ESPN just resurrected a story recently about how twenty years ago uh Bill Belichick was in line to be the next head coach of the New York Jets was a, a Jets um personnel guy. Like he was uh, he was part of the Jets coaching staff when Bill Parcells retired. And Par- Belichick had a clause in his contract that said, if Parcells retires, then Belichick is the head coach. Mm-hmm. And so Parcells announced the retirement on Monday. And so that made, immediately made Belichick the head coach. Tuesday morning, Belichick goes in, works out the Jets facility, goes out, comes back in like an hour or two later and hands a resignation letter in that says, hey, I'm resigning. And like soon after that, he's named the coach of New England. And we're like, what kind of shady stuff is that? Like ask for permission, like do what you're supposed to do. But like, they've been sketchy from the beginning. Like I didn't, and like, I didn't even realize that until ESPN re-upped this article from 20 years ago, like that they were sketchy from the beginning. Anyway, New England, they cheat. I'm glad they're out. Yeah. And how, and and obviously, Similarly to how I feel about Jacoby, I feel the kind of same way about uh, Tom Brady. There's above a, like an 80% chance Tom Brady probably starts next year. He'll probably sign a contract. He's immortal. He drinks the blood of virgins. But if he doesn't... Unicorns. Let's just go with unicorns. It makes me feel... Better about that since less, you have daughters. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then... Well, they're the, boy versions too, so... The let's, reality let's not is... not discriminate. the reality is though how fitting would it be if tom brady's season ends in the lowest of low points tossing a pick six on your own goal line um and then let's move on sunday of course the vikings beat the saints in new orleans in the mercedes-benz superdome uh 26 20 and really uh Pretty well played football game, with the exception of the fact that in overtime, I think, <laughs> uh, Kyle Rudolph pushed off. And it wasn't a big push off. It wasn't, uh, it isn't going to get called uh, above half the time. But I think that in a, in a playoff ending play, game ending play, outside of regulation... <laughs> They should probably like review that and make them go. You know, I don't even think it was fourth down, so I don't think no, it matters. No, it was third down. 
It was third yeah, that down. Was third down. It's a penalty on a play, push them back a little bit, and they get another shot at the end zone. And you know what? They probably still win. They might win. They, or at the very least, they kick a field goal, and then yeah. New Orleans get And we play on, right? This was the first possession. Like This game was a great game. The riveting. Like you pay, riveting like, football. New Orleans this is what came you pay back. They, they tied it with, with the, the two seconds left. New Orleans tied it yep. to send it to overtime. And then that happens in overtime. And I sent this tweet out, and I said – does anybody really think, like, does anybody not think that Al Riveron decided not to review this just to spite, you know, Sean Payton? And, <laughs> because it's New Orleans, and right. New Orleans is the reason this rule was in the place in place last year, yep. because of the officials missing a blatant defensive pass interference. And this Al Riveron has been steadfast this year and not reviewing and not overturning that call. To the point where you're like, what is the rule anymore? Like, you see these things that are obvious pass interference. And if you want to make the game cleaner, then get them out of the game. And people are like, oh, well, well, this happens all game. You know, why why call it now? You call it now because you have an opportunity to review it. Like, before two minutes left in the game, it's not done from upstairs. So coaches have to risk it when they challenge. This play, people will say, oh, well, they were both mutually hand-fighting. I go, that's absolutely true. However, Rudolph then pushed off. And you could tell it. And Tony Dungy of Rodney Harrison did a good job breaking this down on NBC. And he said, look, once you see that push-off and the defender's head gets pushed back, that is creating an advantage. And that is offensive pass interference. That is, by rule, offensive pass interference. And as we learned from the first game that we talked about in the in the wild card round i am a big rules guy and so yeah <laughs> there are play, rules <laughs> that, there, there are rules for a reason right that like, like that play people are like oh well it doesn't get called like 90 percent of the time and i go yeah you're right but just because it doesn't get called 90 percent of the time doesn't mean it's not illegal <laughs> doesn't mean that it like you speed 90 percent of the time Right. And you get pulled over that one time. You go, yeah, but officer, 90 percent of the time I don't get caught. So I don't think I should get a ticket for this one either. That's not how that's that works. probably not going to work out well for you. Like, nope. Yeah, you're right. That's not how that works. So <laughs> the difference to me is in this situation, the NFL and Al Riveron had an opportunity to review this, to make this right, to get the call right. And they chose not to. And that, like, they didn't even review it, despite how obvious it was. And it became more obvious when you slowed it down. But it was obvious in real time. Like, before they even showed the, like, when it happened, I go, that's offensive pass interference. Yep. Like, you can check my tweets, check the timestamps on them. <laughs> like, that's offensive pass interference. And all of a sudden, they start showing the replay. And I'm like, yeah, that's definitely offensive pass interference. But, you know, most of the game, you don't call that. Right. But at this point in the game, you get an opportunity to review it. And so that's what makes the difference to me between having it happen in the third quarter, which it should get called in the third quarter. Right. So don't don't misstate me and say, oh, I don't think it should be called at other other times and it should get called when no, it should call when it happens. It. I think it should get called every time because that's the only way you're going to get this out of the game and you're going to make it you're going to make it more interesting. Right. If like that's what people don't understand. They're like, oh, well, you're going to slow it down. 
Maybe in short term, in short term, but it's no different from any other penalty. Like you can slow a game down with holding and it's just a penalty. And so my point is they need to get it right. And again, Al Riveron is derelict in his duty and voluntarily chooses not to review something. That was such an obvious call. And I, at this point, he has to be just gotten rid of from this review process because this oh, yeah. was the exact situation that they put this rule in place <laughs> over time game winning play in the playoffs. If that's not, if that's not what they want reviewed, then what do they want reviewed? Like Al River doesn't want anything reviewed, obviously. Right. He doesn't want anyone questioning his officials. Yeah. Um, and then, so moving on to the last the last of the wild card games, uh, the Seahawks uh, beat the Eagles, uh, in or yeah, in Philly, uh, and I think it's pretty fair to say primarily because Jadavion Clowney took a cheap shot on Carson Wentz, and I don't really care Dude, who you so are. So dirty. Um, so dirty. Th- here's what here's my perception of what happened. Um, Carson Wentz is going down to the ground. I think we can all agree that's not an egregious statement. He's going down towards the ground. Uh, he's not still an active runner of the football. I believe his, his knee was down. And Jadavion Clowney strikes uh, with his shoulder the side of Carson Wentz's head uh, and bounces it off the turf. And just think, I think Jadavion Clowney is 6'6", 290 pounds, moving at full speed, delivers a hit to a down, uh, what I would call like a down or defenseless player. Uh, And then it was so bad. Like, I I got tears in my eyes. When Carson Wentz stood up, the look on his face, where you know how it is when you have the, the headache in your frontal lobe. Um, he just squinted and like shook his head, and then when he opened his and, eyes, like, you rub, you rub and, like they're right there on your your eyebrows. Yep. Mm-hmm. And as soon as he, I was just like, oh, that's a concussed player. Uh, and then he uh, left the field. And initially, here's what's crazier than that. I initially thought that it was his shoulder. Um, didn't didn't even think about it until I showed it in slow motion, and I'm like, oh. That would, to me, is um, that's a, a personal foul minimum, uh, like a hit on a defenseless player. Like, like um, that's like the targeting call, like or a targeting Clowney, call. Like that was, like it was Vontez perfect level targeting. Yeah. Like he led with the crown of a helmet didn't even look and went or looked saw him going down led with the crown of the helmet into the helmet of another dude like Clowney should have could have potentially been ejected for that should have at least been penalized and the referee said after the fact oh well he was a runner and we didn't think that it was egregious and we're like seriously like That's then like what the to you is egregious, egregious. <laughs> like what what to you what to you like warrants that kind of penalty because he he led with the crown of the helmet and hit a player and not to mention leading with the crown of your helmet to make contact with a player is a penalty regardless whether you hit like this is the uh ryan shazir rule like they got rid of that like so when a running back lowers his helmet and goes into a guy 
Like you're that's supposed to get called. It never does, but it's supposed to get called, and it's definitely supposed to get called when it's a defensive player hitting a quarterback. Like that's that's what blew my mind, and it changed the outcome of the game. And I just really, you know, I, I appreciated Kate McCown or Josh McCown coming in and and playing as well as he did in that situation. Absolutely. Uh, because it was, you know, tough environment. Um, Philly's a tough environment, whether the home team or the visiting team, realistically. And he was able to, to keep him in that game, had a chance to win it, and just couldn't get it done. And uh, really wanted him to win. It's his first playoff start, uh, our first playoff action in 17 years in the league. Like, they did a stat, like, he was drafted in, like, the 2002 draft, mm-hmm. and they went over the draft picks, like, uh, uh, David Carr out of the league, Joe Harrington out of the league, some other guy I don't know out of the league, and when they retired, and you've got Josh McCown still playing. And, like, it was just emotional to watch him go after that. You know, realistically, the better team won. You know, Seattle is the better team. Oh, for sure. Um, but at the same time, Philadelphia really got hamstrung early uh, mm-hmm. by today Van Clowney that dirty hit. Uh, also want to make sure that we say uh, in terms of that final, uh, the last of the wildcard games, who doesn't want Fletcher Cox on their team? That guy is a friggin' Fletcher monster. Cox is a beast. Oh my and, God. It was but, literally every play. I'm like, Look what he did to the center. Like yeah. he pushed him six DJ yards Fluker off the had ball. No chance. Oh like, my he, gosh. DJ Fluker is a massive amount of a man. And right. Fletcher Cox just like Reggie White him. one-handed just put oh, him yeah. to the ground and went on. He's like, thank you, next. And and was gone. <laughs> thank you, next. Oh, that's funny. Um, Ariana Grande. Um, so uh we kind of talked about the past, right? So we've talked today about uh, Chris Ballard's end of season press conference. We talked about um, the the wild card games that happened this past weekend, uh, and then let's kind of talk real quickly um, about this upcoming weekend. And we'll talk about we got a lot of stuff this weekend. Then we'll talk about that, and then we'll finish up with uh, the the moves so far regarding head coaches, and then we'll kind of let everybody go from there. Okay, so. This Saturday, and again, I'll be calling these games uh, on hot mic. So if you would, if you, Android or iPhone, download that app. Use Jared my code, Jared317. Uh, follow me as uh, under the broadcasters tab. And I'll tell you this now. Uh, top 100 on both iPhone and Android. Uh, they just signed the, and these are basketball players, Matt Barnes and Steven Jackson, who have a podcast called All the Smoke. <laughs> They just signed uh, them. Those two. <laughs> and then, hey, which is great for the app, right? And then, <laughs> I know this is a this is out there in terms of life goals, but my life goal is to have Pat McAfee sign on to Hot Mike and be my color guy. Uh, and he hasn't got the opportunity uh, that he should have gotten, and I think it's because most of the time he's like a third wheel on the broadcast. And so there is a play-by-play guy, and there is a color guy, and then there's um, Pat McAfee. Pat as... McAfee is like the unicycle. He doesn't need any other wheels. Uh, so my, my goal... For... Except for you. Except right. His, it, yeah, I'll do the you. play-by-play. 
and then he can be the color guy. And I think I interviewed him. I got to talk to him for about 35, 40 minutes. I was supposed to only get 15. So I think we, we had a good rapport. Uh, and maybe he listens to our podcast. And if you do, hey, Pat, big fan, big fan, man. And I'd love to work with yeah, you. And hope, I think I, think I talked to up. an executive from Hot Mike about this. And he said, you know, we'll help you uh, push that as much as you want. But we need people to be, you know, share our podcast, tag Pat McAfee and say, hey, what do you think? Give the guy a shot. And you don't have to sign on for there's no contract. Uh, I'm doing a whole bunch of games. I think I have six more games scheduled uh, for the month of January. Hop on one uh, because one of the things Andrew Shabbat and I talked about was eventually what happens is that somebody gets sick, retires suddenly, gets fired for doing something stupid on social media. And people like me, I did the most events in the month of December while the app was ascending. And I don't have a bunch of followers. I didn't, I'm not a performer professional athlete, so I didn't inherit a bunch of followers on the app. I'm top 10 on the app in terms of follows. And so while I appreciate the people that are supporting me, hey, if you're going to help me out, do it now before something happens so that I don't have to look back and say, you know, nobody really supported me until I got this opportunity. And that's kind of sad. So I want to make sure we talk about what's going to happen this weekend. So this weekend is a divisional round. And on Saturday at 435 Eastern Time, the Vikings and 49ers will play in Levi's Stadium in Santa Clara, California. And quickly, let's kind of run that game through the grinder. I think, of course, the 49ers win this game going away. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you. The 49ers, to me, is they're probably the most complete team in the NFC. Yeah, uh, I agree. And, you know, the only the only team that I think compares them in the NFL is playing later that night. So Yeah, absolutely. I, I think the 49ers, their defense can 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 suffocate the the Vikings and their offense can well it might be tighter than we think um, because now now the Vikings have got Kirk Cousins has that first win and sometimes that's the avalanche so he's got that first big time win but I I just think that the 49ers are just a more talented team and a better coach team agree and then 8 15 eastern uh Saturday night the Titans and Ravens will play in M&T Bank Stadium in Baltimore Maryland and like we said I think that in terms of the most complete, I'm using air quotes because who really knows injuries happen within the week. Uh, but the Titans and Ravens will play. The Ravens are a 10 point favorite. Of course, this is one of those instances where it, I'm not uh... I, I don't dislike the Titans, but a lot of their fans are very difficult to get along with. And I think that's <laughs> a better way to say it. Um, so part yeah. of me says, screw the Titans. I bet on the Ravens to win their division August in August and won a bunch of money. Congratulations. So why, why not bet on them and the 49ers to make it to the Super Bowl? And then I would t- probably take the the Ravens to get their Super Bowl out of Lamar Jackson before his body starts to break down. Har har. That was totally a joke based on yeah. something he said. Um, well, I mean, that's before the they convert him. Like, when you think about Lamar receiver. Jackson, yeah, like, or, or Lamar Jackson is just think how good he would be as a wide receiver. Mm-hmm. Like, like, that's a what he should player. be playing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Instead of he'd be, he'd be quarterback like where role. he's going to be the MVP. Like, he could be like, could they do double MVPs? Like, right. he might have gotten Bill Polian's MVP vote had he actually been a wide receiver. Right. So, 
gosh, that guy, I tell you. By the way, we're just joking. Lamar Jackson is a fantastic quarterback, and I'm glad that he's playing that position because that's where he deserves to play. Absolutely. I I feel like I need to clarify that because people might just take us too seriously. Um, Oh, uh, take me seriously. (laughs) uh, Don't take me seriously. Well, never mind. Um, So – Here's the thing with the AFC matchups is I think the Ravens and Kansas City got the two teams they did not want to play the most. Agree. Um, I don't think the Ravens wanted to play the Titans because the Titans defense with um, with Simmons coming back and the big knock on the Titans right now is Jalen Brown going out last yep. game, depending on what's going to happen there. Yep. Um, I don't know if there's been an update to his injury status, but the Titans with Tannehill are a very, very different team than what they are with Mariota. And I think that that obviously really kind of goes without saying, but you kind of still have to say it. Um, that Titans defense, though, is great. Yeah. And that, like, I, I goodness gracious, I said this at the beginning of the year that I thought the Titans defense might be the best in the NFL. Mm-hmm. And it's held firm pretty much the whole year. Um, the Ravens did not want to play Tennessee. I think Tennessee can make this a tighter game because they're able to play ball control with Derrick Henry and they're able to make that play action pass against Baltimore. Um, The Ravens offense uh, now at the same time, this game might be close, but it might be an absolute blowout. Right. If if the Ravens get, get a couple of touchdowns early, this game's over. Oh yeah. Because like, that's if, where if, that's where the Titans will struggle is if they get behind. But if they're yeah. able to make, keep it a ball game, limit if they're to able to goals, stay within one score, yeah, throughout you know, the game, yeah. it, like they're they're gonna have a they're gonna have a chance. Which again is the obvious thing to say, mm-hmm. but they also like they just don't have the talent to be that comfort behind team. Exactly. And then Sunday, uh, January 12th at 3.05 p.m., uh, the Texans... Such a weird start time, by the way. Yes, the Texans will play the Chiefs in Arrowhead Stadium in Kansas City, Missouri, one of the one of the best venues ever oh. uh, to watch a football game. I've uh, seen a game in, in... I've seen a playoff game in Kansas City. I didn't go last year, but it was back in... When the Colts were running through and, like, the Kansas City's kick return was Dante Hall. Mm-hmm. And I sat near the 50-yard line by Dante Hall's family. He returned a kick for a touchdown that playoff game. Oh, Colts yeah. ended up winning, but it was just one of the coolest experiences to go out there and and, and be in that stadium and in that atmosphere. So Kansas City is a 10-point favorite at home. Wow. I think really? that I would take the Texans against the spread all day. Uh, yeah. And while I I can agree that I think the Chiefs probably win, that this is a 27 a 30-27 game uh, and not a 10-point blowout, and that's just because of what happened last week. Uh, one of the things uh, that I didn't know that I know now is that there are two quarterbacks in football that in the that are not Tom Brady. There are two quarterbacks in football that have come back in the second half from double-digit scores to win a playoff game. And do you know who those two people are? Deshaun Watson and Trevor Lawrence. So they make them at Clemson. And I think that 
while I don't think the Texans are as complete an, an offense, and I doubt they win, again, similarly to the Saturday night game, I don't. it would not surprise me at all to see the Texans beat the Chiefs. That's kind of where I, like, 10 points is a big spread, and I wouldn't be yeah. surprised to see the Texans win outright. Because, and here's one of the reasons why, is with J.J. Watt back, that Texans defense is different. Um, even though he he only played like limited to start the game, he, by the end of the second half, he was playing like every snap. Right, and, right. and the Texans defense isn't great, mm-hmm. but they've got some pieces to get after Patrick Mahomes. And the Texans offense is going to have Will Fuller back, which the, the, the Will Fuller only runs go routes. <laughs> like that's all they have to do and they are a it's like a night and day difference of their offense when they have will filler on that outside running go routes to clear out space hmm. for all their guys underneath i have no faith in a kansas city defense to stop them right and so this came to me you're looking at you said 30 27 i'm gonna go even higher like i think it might be 38 35 okay um because and i don't know who wins like yeah. that's the score I'm setting, but it could go either way. And I don't have faith in the Chiefs to to cover a spread for sure. Like I'm taking the Texans if I'm going against the spread, but Absolutely. I think that's a toss up game for for who wins or loses. And then the final uh, of the divisional round games, uh, 6:40 again at odd start time, 6:40 Eastern Sunday, the Seahawks and Packers play in Lambeau. And the Packers are four-point favorite. Um, and the only chalk pick I have outside of the 49ers is the Packers. The Packers. Um, yeah, I feel like these lines should be flipped. Agree. Like, I feel like the I feel lines like the are Packers just wonky. Chiefs lines should be flipped. Like I think the Packers should have a ten-point, ten-point line. The Chiefs should have a four-point line. The Packers like, are more of a complete uh, team. Yeah. Well, and um, the Seahawks don't have an offensive line. The Packers' pass rush is really um, good. Is really good with Preston Smith and Zadarius Smith. Yeah. Goodness the gracious. The Smith Those, brothers. Yeah. Right. Even though they're not related. Even though they're not related else. at all. Um, um, but yeah, that that Packers defense is legit, and as long as the offense has, can play decent, mm-hmm. I don't see the Seahawks keeping up with them at all. Mm-mm, mm-mm. You know, because Russell Wilson kind of like willed them to win last game and they had a massive advantage once Carson Wentz went out. Right. And then my thought process is I think this is like a 30, this is like a 31 17 game. This is like a two touchdown win uh, for the Packers. That's how much confidence I have. And it starts with Aaron Jones. So true. um, One of the, one of the facts of this game is that the Seahawks offense is not the same when they're missing Penny and Carson, like the all three of their original starting running backs out for the season. And now they're on Homer and Marshawn Lynch. And it's not the same. And I just think the Packers are going to be able to play that ball control style offense and they're going to get touchdowns where I think Seattle, when they have the ball, they have a higher propensity to bog down in the red zone because of they don't really have a solid running game. And that's why I think this game won't be close. 
people will sit there and say, oh, well, you know, Seattle has DK Metcalf because he's come on strong. DK Matt, Metcalf, similar to Will Fuller, can only run go routes. <laughs> I, that's it. Like, people are like, oh, DK Metcalf got 160 yards. And I go, yeah, but like 120 of it were on two plays. I would say I most of like. the yards are with the ball in the air and him yeah. running down to chase it down. So, like, what you'd rather see is a guy catch the ball, make a play, and get like yards. Tyler get, Lockett. Yeah, get yards after the catch like a Tyler Lockett. So, I just think, like I said, I think the Packers are a more complete roster and they have less holes. Uh, and that, to me, symbolizes, like, not a very close football game. But it's also Seattle, right? And it's Pete Carroll and it's... Russell Wilson. So you never really know. That's why they play the games on Sunday, right? Um, so now we've kind of chomped our way through so the wild talk about card. The national championship game. Uh, yeah, let's do that too, because that'll that'll let's be. Let's do that. Bef- let's just Monday. leave the head coaching stuff. Let's leave the we head coaching stuff until next week. Yeah, next because... so next week, what we'll talk about are kind of current events. So we'll talk about the divisional round. We'll talk about the national championship. Well, then, then we'll go through. Yeah, by then we'll we'll have the head coaching stuff. You know, we'll, we'll know who the Browns coach is. Supposedly, maybe they got to get a GM they'll first. Probably, they'll probably get fired by the time that we record next week anyway. <laughs> with Jimmy Haslam. It's week. true, um, but yeah. So this upcoming, or so a week from yesterday, I guess is probably better to to say it. Yeah, a week from yesterday. So in six days. Um, hold on. I'm having trouble finding it. Bulls. So on the thirteenth. Uh, yeah, we've got Monday, January thirteenth. Um, so mm-hmm. Monday at eight p.m. Eastern, down in New Orleans, site of the Sugar Bowl. Um, now right. this year's national championship game. We got LSU versus Clemson, mm-hmm. and uh, both teams have quite a number of players that will be likely first-round picks. I think the LSU has potentially uh, five guys that are, are probably going to be first- or second-round picks. And then, similarly, uh, Clemson has three, four, four guys that are potential. So you've got nine guys in the first 64 picks that are probably going to be playing in this game. Yep, and that's so, one of the major reasons that I started uh, commentating college football games uh, I, my first college football game that I commentated was LSU Alabama, uh, and that's one. and that's because primarily I realized uh, again the Colts have uh, middle to you know they're in the first half of the first round, and they also have two second round draft picks, so that's basically and again I'm extrapolating data, but that's three picks in the top 64. And then in conversations with our colleagues at Stampede Blue in our little Slack chat, uh, I literally just, if you, I don't know if you remember this, uh, brother, but I asked, the, I asked the guys, hey, how, how many players in this LSU-Alabama game do we think are going to be drafted in the top two rounds? And I think we came up with, and, and I don't even think the list was complete, but I think we came up with like 12. Yeah, it was like, and and immediately my brain was like off this season, you know, the the Colts need some help. Let's go ahead and start commentating college football games. So I've also called, uh, let's see, I did Ohio State, Michigan. I did 
Alabama, Michigan. I did the Alabama Michigan game. I did the LSU Oklahoma game. Uh, I did all the college football playoff games. Um, so now looking at this game, a lot of people are first saying Clemson's the favorite. I disagree. LSU is playing a home game in New Orleans. Oh, that's right. You don't want to go to the Bayou and try to root against the LSU Tigers. However, a Tiger will be a national champion, and you can bet on that. Um, but um, but um, uh, but uh, similar to the LSU Alabama game, this game has a lot of firepower in it. In that. If you just look at the fact that the Colts have three picks in the top 64. Yeah, they've got three picks in the top 44. Sure. So three picks in the top 44. And I'm willing to bet that there are minimum 10 players going to be drafted in the top 44 from these two programs. Uh, The data is not great. But there's like a one out of three chance the Colts end up having drafting a player that plays in the national championship. Um, and of course, well, and that's Chris Ballard very... typically likes those guys that play at bigger programs, too. Yeah, um, he, he drafts a lot of guys out of the Big Ten and about the SEC. Um, and so, you know, the, you look at the look at the game, you've got, you know, Joe Burrow, obviously number one overall pick. So. Okay. You know, and I'm just going to go over LSU real quick. So the other guys that they they list is guys that could be taken in the first round is edge rusher Kalivon Chason. Oh, yeah. Chason. I like him a Chison. lot. He's very uh, big and long. He reminds me of Darius Leonard if he were an edge rusher. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I haven't gotten a chance to watch him um, too much other than seeing the highlights that you see or oh, yeah. you know, watching it. Like, I haven't. And he's also I mean, a defensive rephrase, leader. I've watched them. But I haven't, like, focused in on a position group. Okay. So, like, I noticed him when he plays. Yeah. But I don't, like, I'm not watching him consistently. Then you got Grant Delpit, the safety. Yes. Um, he was uh, the Jim Thorpe Award winner for college uh, to best defensive back. Mm-hmm. Um, now, he, he seemed to have a, a little bit more of a down year this year than what he had last year. But he's still projected to go in early first round. Uh, then you've got Christian Fulton, the corner. Uh, he's projected to go in the first round. And Justin Jefferson, the wide receiver. I think Justin Jefferson is an underrated player. Agreed. Um, who, like, for example, T. Higgins on the opposite side uh, over at Clemson mm-hmm. is a guy that a lot of people project as a first-round pick in the middle, late first round. I would prefer to have Justin Jefferson, I think, over T. Higgins. Um, just out of the general this overview umbrella view of the whole thing just because yeah. the plays that i see him make and they have similar quarterbacks so justin jefferson goes up against uh, you know solid solid players and makes plays uh goes against solid dbs and makes plays despite the fact that he has joe burris as quarterback so you you have that premier quarterback that's throwing you the ball so you're obviously going to be put in a better position to make plays so you're going to look a little bit better Mm-hmm. T. Higgins, when he went against Ohio State uh, two weeks ago in that, that semifinal match, was shut down by Okuda and Wade. And as you mentioned, he was a little bit injured in that game, came back in the second half. Yes. Um, but he still seemed to struggle even after Wade went out. Um, and so you just had Okuda at that point. And I don't know whether they – I haven't watched the game, so I don't know if Okuda followed him around the field. But it made me, made me rethink it. So 
you've got five, those five guys from from LSU that are likely going to be potentially all of them could be first or second round picks. Yep. All of them could be gone by the Colts pick at 44. Oh yeah. So that's five guys to watch there. And then for Clemson, you've got Isaiah Simmons. He's a uh, more of a tweener, um, just kind of that, that freak athlete from the safety linebacker position. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, I'm not sure where they're going to play him. Um, but he's kind of like uh, that, that fast linebacker. So it's, it's one of those guys that, Chris Ballard tends to like guys that just go make plays. Um, the thing that you need to look for, and what I think is going to be kind of important, is to see what he does at the combine and see what his measurements are. Because in any kind of safety or linebacker, Chris Ballard likes those long arms. Um, and that's, that's one of those traits. He likes fast guys with long arms. And so, you know, if he's got those long arms – he could be a guy that they take at 13 like and it wouldn't shock me because he's just a nasty athlete Um, absolutely and then also i think travis etienne the clemson running back is mm -hmm. a dynamic running back and he reminds me of like a derrick henry in that he's a big boy and he doesn't get like leaned on super heavy and that's a good thing when you're a college athlete. You don't want to be the focal point of your offense because you're going to get a lot of miles on the tires. And that doesn't lend itself to like a productive uh, NFL uh, career. Um, if you think about Josh Jacobs, he was part of a running back by committee at Alabama. And he comes into the NFL and is one of the most productive running backs. Giants, yeah. In, well, with the Raiders. Uh, Josh Jacobs. Oh, Josh Jacobs. Um, I other Jacobs back <laughs> Jacobs. That was a right. long time ago. That was a long time ago. Yeah. Uh, and then my also, thing with ATN, ATN's he's not quite as big as Henry. So that's the only thing that concerns me because he's about two ten ish. Yeah. Henry Henry I think is about three twenty. <laughs> uh, that's what he looks like when he yeah. cameras people. He's like a Mack truck. Yeah, like he's he's two fifty, I think, or, or two forty, something like that. Like he's a big dude. Yes. Um and then and so, also yeah. Uh, Clyde Edwards Hilaire uh, was not as much of a factor in the college football like playoff round um, but he was from what I understand he was both sick and injured um, and in, in addition to that I like to talk about the future a lot because I think it's relevant um, freshman running back from LSU Chris Curry is someone I would keep an eye on the future uh, and he reminds me of like a Marshawn Lynch, like a young Marshawn Lynch. Um, so, and then what? Who else I want to point AJ, out? AJ AJ Terrell, the quarter from Clemson, mm-hmm. uh, is a guy that he didn't get a lot of production, but that's because nobody threw at him. <laughs> um, and so that that's the tough part with corners is just because they don't have a bunch of interception or pass breaks up breakups doesn't mean that they didn't play well. Mm-hmm. It might just mean that they just shut down that side of the field, didn't throw it that way. Um, so it's, it's one of those things. And then we mentioned T Higgins as well, uh, briefly. Yep. Um, and then and we talked uh, about him a little bit more last week. Sadiq Charles, uh, the offensive tackle for LSU. Um, one of the things about being the most productive quarterback in college football this season and easily the best quarterback prospect to come out of LSU in its entire history is having a stout offensive line 
and Sadiq Charles plays tackle for LSU. So it's worth keeping an eye on draft eligible players playing on a productive offense and seeing how they do in a game that really matters, right? The national championship. And also uh, Cushenberry, the LSU center. Again, part of being a really productive offense is having great offensive linemen. And what do we know for Colts fans? How do you build great teams? foundationally offensive line offensive and defensive line in the trenches so that's another player that i expect to be drafted uh in in some point in the nfl draft and it's important to watch those guys play in games that really matter and then i kind of think there was another guy i could just be wrong and be overstating but i think uh aj terrell did we talk about aj terrell the cornerback for clemson yeah the corner yeah, the mm-hmm. corner from Clemson. Yeah, that's a guy that didn't have a lot of production, but yeah, he's mm-hmm. a guy that that could go late first round. Um, could be an option for the Colts there in the second round. Um, yeah, yeah he's he's a lankier wide receiver, six one, yeah. I think six one one ninety, right about there. And then lankier uh, corner, right? Yeah, yeah. Sorry, yeah, no, lankier. Corner. When you said it, I was like, wait, is AJ Terrell play wide receiver too? No, um, no, I don't think so. He might. He probably almost all the corners played wide receivers in college, but they didn't have good enough hands oh, yeah. to uh, to play. I find receiver. myself saying that a lot when I commentate <laughs> uh, football games. You'll see a pass, like an errant oh. pass, and the corner were literally, you know, he does that thing little kids do where their hands they not only do they not catch the ball, but like they couldn't even clap their hands together. Their hands like kissed <laughs> each other, and you're like, oh wow, he's like, well, just there's there. a reason he plays cornerback in mm-hmm. the NFL is because he does not have good hands. Uh, if he did, yep. he'd be a wide receiver. Um, so yeah, one we want to make sure that we talked a little bit about the national championship because there's a there's this like outside chance. One of these guys ends up being a Colt, uh, and that, of course, is something that we want to make sure that we are ahead of the rest of the pack on. Because one of the things I have not seen from any other media outlet is how this LSU-Clemson football game could impact the Colts. What if Joe Burrow gets hurt? See? This is why you should watch college football, man, because it matters. And, like, the this game, this game has... Um, relevance uh for the draft and for the colts like we said have three picks in the top 44 and these guys are the cream of the crop right right no yeah, yeah oh, okay. sorry i didn't i thought it was a rhetorical question so it's like oh yeah <laughs> he's, of like, course. he's actually asking that he, he yeah i just assumed that everybody knew the answer was yes <laughs> absolutely so hey this has been uh, episode 27 of Afternoon Pancakes. We did a little over two hours. I know you said you only really had it till two o'clock, but hey, man, I think this is a hell of a podcast, and we went through a lot of topics, talked about things uh, that have happened, that will happen, talked about now, the future, and again, we think the future is really bright, specifically for the Indianapolis Colts, but really for football in general. Um, we don't say this very often, but this NFL draft class has a lot of promise to have a big impact on the future of NFL football. That's probably a better way to say it, right? Um, So yeah, we'll kind of leave you there. I want to make sure we wish everyone a happy new year. Um, And yeah, go Colts.